In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today we're going to talk about the passage from Acts, about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And there's lots about this passage that's fascinating, not least of which is Philip's relocation by the Spirit at the end of the story, how he gets whisked away uh, and sent on his way down the road. Uh, But equally fascinating is the question of how this powerful Ethiopian eunuch, an official in the Queen of Ethiopia's court, how did he get a copy of the scriptures in his hand, and why was he in Jerusalem worshiping? It's kind of puzzling when you think about it. Most likely this man was not Jewish. We see that he was Ethiopian. There's been some debate about this, about whether he was uh, a Jew living in Ethiopia because of the dispersion of Jews, or whether he was fully African. But regardless, it's pretty, pretty obvious that he was likely not a Jew, that he was a Gentile, and that he would have been excluded from worship in the temple on two counts. First of all, because he was a Gentile, and second of all, because he was a eunuch. And in the book of Deuteronomy, it says very clearly that that eunuchs may not participate in the assembly of Israel. And so this man is is one who is excluded for two big reasons, which makes it all the more fascinating that he is returning from Jerusalem, where he's been worshiping God, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, one interesting thing about the prophet Isaiah is just a little bit after where this man was reading— In chapter 56, it says this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name, and they shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now this was not yet. Isaiah was pointing to a moment in the future. And so this Ethiopian, having gone to Jerusalem, having worshipped God there, probably been excluded from the temple because of his foreign status and because of his status as a eunuch, is reading Isaiah and perhaps he's even read this passage just a few chapters after the place where he was reading in the the lesson today. Perhaps he's put his hope in the message of this prophet, in this coming day which is to come. And part of the message of this passage, part of the reason why it's included in the book of Acts, is because that day had come. Access was finally being granted to people outside of the nation of Israel. Gentiles were being welcomed in. And even this eunuch was being welcomed in as well. 
Now, in the ancient world, Ethiopia was seen as sort of the farthest west place you could go. And so sometimes when they're doing geographical descriptions of things, they'll talk about places uh, like the, the kingdom in, um, in the book of Esther. The king is the, the king of everywhere from India to Ethiopia. Everywhere from India to Ethiopia. And that's just saying, as far as you can think of going west and as far as you can think of going east, this man is powerful and he's the king. And so Ethiopia is the, the furthest away place that people can imagine going in one direction. And the eunuch is one who is clearly cut off from the assembly of Israel. And yet, this man is being welcomed. He's being baptized. He's accepted the gospel. And he's a Christian now. This is a story about demonstrating that this day has come. That all are now welcome. That all now have access to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If they will put their faith in him. And this is still true today. God's love is for all people. God's love is for all people. All are welcomed to accept his invitation to grace. All are welcome to be included in the embrace of the Father when they put their trust, their faith, in Jesus Christ. But how will they know about this free gift that's being offered to them? Someone's going to need to tell them about it. Some people read their way into the faith. Some people, like C.S. Lewis, think their way into the faith. But most people, almost all people, at some point, have a Christian come alongside them and shepherd them, disciple them, and guide them into faith in Jesus Christ. At some point in their journey, most people have another Christian share their faith with them. And so I'm guessing that's probably a part of your story. So just think for a moment about that person that first told you about Jesus. Or persons. The people that told you about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and how it was for you. Can you think of a person like that? Or people like that? Just take a moment to give thanks to God for the influence that person had in your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all these people who are here today because someone preached the gospel to them. And we thank you for those people that did preach the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to do the same. As we think about this passage from Acts, uh, you can never look at a, a story of evangelism and say, well, this is the model for evangelism. And it's probably a good thing because that would mean that we'd have to, you know, find a deserted place with an Ethiopian riding in a chariot reading the, gospel of, or reading the passage from Isaiah. And then we could apply everything that we've learned here, right? But how often has that happened to you? I'm guessing never. What we can do, however, is look at a passage like this and see some things which seem to be important and which we can think about in the context of other evangelistic situations uh, and see what we can learn from this as we attempt to share Jesus with others. And there's a few things I think we can learn. The first of them is that evangelism must be God-directed. Evangelism must be God-directed. This story begins with a clear message to Philip to do something pretty strange. Philip has just been ministering in Samaria and other places 
He's been doing powerful acts of healing, powerful miracles, powerful preaching. Lots of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then we see at the beginning of this passage that an angel of the Lord says to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then it adds a side note, this is a deserted place. No one in their right mind would go out to this place. There was a road there, but few people traveled on it. There was likely to be no one there. And yet Philip has been ministering to the Lord, or ministering in the name of the Lord, to all of these people and seeing powerful things happening. Why would God send him to a deserted place? Philip doesn't seem to have known the reason. Perhaps he thought the Lord was sending him for a retreat like Jesus often had, going out alone to a deserted place. Perhaps he thought something different. But regardless of what he thought, we can see that he was obedient to the voice of the Lord. The angel of the Lord comes and visits him and says, go, and he rises up and he goes. No hesitation, no second guessing. He just does it. He didn't choose himself to go to that deserted place. He went because God sent him. And we see something similar just a few verses later. In verse 29, it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go and join this chariot. Now Philip has gotten to this deserted place. He sees this chariot riding along. The Ethiopian eunuch is clearly a powerful person, probably well-dressed with a fancy chariot. He is, after all, the treasurer of the queen's household. Maybe there are servants accompanying him. Maybe he even has an entourage. And the Spirit says to him, go and talk to that guy. Now imagine the president in his motorcade, you know, driving down Old Jennings Road with guards all around him, you know, American flags flapping in the breeze on the, on the hood. And you just sort of step out into the road and, and knock on the window and say, excuse me, Mr. President, I have something I want to say to you. How likely is that to happen? And yet, Philip is obedient. He's listening to the voice of the Spirit. He does what the Lord tells him to do. Philip is doing these things because he's used to listening and obeying. I said just a moment ago that he had been doing mighty things in the region of Samaria. And it says at the beginning of chapter 8, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in that city. How do you think Philip did all those things? He didn't do it himself. He didn't say to the spirits, in the name of Philip, come out. He said, in the name of Jesus, come out. And how could he do that unless he was being directed by Jesus to do so? How could he heal unless he was being directed by the Spirit to do so? Philip was a man who was in the practice of listening to the voice of God. And he did mighty things, not in his own strength or in his own power or in his own wisdom, 
He was like Jesus, doing only the things that God told him to do. And so when you spend time listening for the God's voice, when you spend time acting on what God calls you to do, you begin to trust in the voice of Jesus, in the voice of the Spirit. You begin to trust that when he calls you to do something, he's usually got a pretty good reason for it. You begin to trust that when you obey him, you get to see pretty amazing things happen. And so when we evangelize, we need to trust the voice of God. We need to do what he calls us to do, even if it seems strange, even if it seems weird. We need to do it. And when we do it, we'll see mighty things happen. This is particularly important to remember in the case of evangelism because we cannot ever bring someone to faith in our own strength. We simply can't do it. And so if you've ever felt the burden, the pressure that you need to be one who's out there winning converts for Christ, just write that off because it's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be obedient to what God's calling you to do. And so it's not about how many people you've won to Christ. It's about how well you're obeying the voice of the Lord. Don't ever go evangelize in your own strength. Don't ever go evangelize just because you think it's the right thing to do. Go evangelize because God has called you to it. Because God has called you to a particular person. Because God has burdened your heart with a particular person. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And that's just as true today as it ever was. It's God the Father who draws people in the power of the Holy Spirit. Before you ever mention a word of the gospel to someone, the Holy Spirit is already working in their hearts, preparing them to receive the message of salvation. And so if you go in your own strength and you preach the gospel in your own strength, your words will fall to the ground and be trampled upon, just like the seed that falls upon the path. But if God has prepared the soil of their heart to receive the message of the gospel, then the seeds of the gospel will dig into that soil and take root and bring forth much fruit. So when we evangelize, we always need to do so in the power of the Spirit. Always need to do so at the direction of the Father. And if someone seems resistant to hearing about the gospel, then pray for more opportunities to share with them. And pray that God would soften their heart and prepare them to receive the message of salvation. The second thing I think we can look at is that evangelism often begins with a person's felt needs. We can look into the world and we can see the pain, the suffering that is in the lives of so many. And we can say, you know, if they just knew Jesus, their life would be different. We can see that because we have the eyes of faith. We can see that because Jesus has done powerful work in our own lives. But that person probably can't see that just yet. They probably can't see that Jesus is the answer for their problems just yet. And so you might need to start someplace different. 
Philip doesn't presume to know what the eunuch needs to hear. Instead, he observes him reading from Isaiah and then asks him a question. In verse 30, we see Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you're reading? That's pretty simple, isn't it? He heard him because in those days nobody read in quiet. You didn't just open a Bible and and look at the words. You would say the words with your mouths. So he hears him reading aloud. He knows the passage of Isaiah that he's reading from. He knows he's reading from the scriptures. And he doesn't say, excuse me for a moment, let me just tell you about Jesus. He starts with the place where this eunuch is. He starts right there in Isaiah chapter 53. We always want to start in the place where the person is feeling their need. And that might be in the scriptures. It might be that someone has been studying the Bible on their own, and they've got some questions about Jesus and what all this stuff means. But their felt need may have nothing to do with the scriptures. It may be a need for companionship. It may be a need for food. It may be a need for someone to help them move into their new house. So evangelism begins by building a relationship in the place where that person is feeling that need. Of course, we know what they really need. But they might not take kindly to our answer just yet. And so we need to meet them where they are and then move from there. The eunuch at that moment was wondering about the meaning of this difficult passage from Isaiah, a passage that many people were questioning in the first century A.D., This passage only really makes sense when we see it in the lens of Jesus. Because it's here that the message of Isaiah becomes clear. Jesus is this suffering servant, this one who suffered and died for the sake of the people. And so Philip was in a unique position, knowing Jesus, to tell this Ethiopian eunuch about him. And so Philip does indeed use this passage as a launching point to tell him all about Jesus, which we see in verse 35. We don't know exactly what he said, but it must have been comprehensive enough to encompass the whole of the gospel message and to explain that the proper response to the gospel is faith and baptism. Because that's how the Ethiopian eunuch responds. He says, what is to prevent me from being baptized? So Philip must have told him all of those things, beginning with the gospel of Jesus and ending with the response to that gospel. The person whom God has put on your heart may be very close to understanding and accepting the gospel, or they may be very far away. Your starting place will be different depending on where they are in that journey. But whatever it is, listen to the voice of the person and listen to the voice of the Spirit at the same time. And then God will make it clear for you what you should do. That's what Philip did, too. He listens to the voice of the Ethiopian. He listens to God's direction. And then he made his response based on those two things. While your starting place will be different, the ending place is always the same. Jesus. One commentator, N.T. Wright, says wherever you go, Whatever culture you come to, whatever situation of human need, sin, exclusion, or oppression that you may find, 
the message of Jesus as one in whom all the promises of God find their yes is there to meet that need. Whatever a person's situation, it will be better if Jesus is in the midst of it. You may not be able to start with Jesus, but that's the place where we end because evangelism is bringing people to know Jesus, helping them to put their faith, their trust in him. The third thing is evangelism must always be grounded in God's word. Evangelism must always be grounded in God's word. Philip's evangelism with this eunuch is thoroughly grounded in the scriptures. It's reasonable to say that this eunuch came to faith through Bible study. And that's the same that happens today in many ways. InterVarsity, which is an international ministry to college and graduate students, has found this to be very true. They're a very effective organization in the context of evangelism, but one of the most effective ways that they've found is through these small groups that they call Groups Investigating God, or GIGs. And a gig is basically a Bible study for someone who's not really interested in studying the Bible. And particularly, it's focused on the Gospels. Because many people might be kind of okay with Jesus, even though they've pretty much rejected Christianity or religion in general. And so they might have an interest in learning more about Jesus. And so you just start with a passage of Jesus if they have interest in it, maybe over coffee. And you sit with two or three people like this, or maybe just one person, and you read a story together and you start asking questions about it. And people come to faith over and over and over again, just interacting with the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. For some people, they may not be ready to engage with God's Word, but they may be very ready to hear your testimony, your story of what God has done in your life, how God has made a difference in your life, how He's changed you. Perhaps you've been through a hard experience similar to the one the person is going through. And you were able to weather that storm because of your faith in Christ. Tell them about it. These are ways that we can open spiritual doors and begin talking about Jesus. And then they'll start asking you questions and you can dig deeper and go further. At some point, however, you need to bring the scriptures in because the faith is not something you just thought up. And the scriptures help show that the faith is not something you just thought up. It's not your own brilliant idea. It's something that's grounded in years of history and years of God's truth. The Bible is trustworthy. We know it's trustworthy for all kinds of reasons. And people need to hear about the faith in the words that God uses about the faith. They need to hear about the faith from God himself. And that's what the word does. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and for instruction. It shapes us. It forms us. It helps us to see truth clearly. When we look at Romans chapter 10, we see this in verse 14 and then in verse 17. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That someone could be any one of us. 
But what is the content of that preaching? In verse 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. It's not our words that they need to hear. It's Christ's words that they need to hear. It's the words of the gospel that they need to hear. And so we start with our own lives, with our own testimony, but we end in the scriptures, because that's where they'll find truth. That's where they'll find life. That's where they'll find Jesus. You can help this along by memorizing verses of scripture and by reading your Bible each and every day and meditating on the scriptures. But please don't let your lack of understanding of the scriptures stop you from reaching out to someone. You will always be growing in the scriptures. There will always be more that you could know about the scriptures. There will be always be something you don't know when someone asks a question about the scriptures. And that's okay. You don't need to be intimidated about that. I get questions all the time for which I don't have the answers. And I've been to seminary, and I've been in ministry for 12 years. But when you get a question that stumps you, don't worry about it. Just say, I don't know the answer, but I'll find it for you. And that provides you an opportunity to follow up and have yet another conversation about Jesus. They've given you permission to come and talk to them again about Jesus, and that's a wonderful thing. So don't ever feel like you don't know enough. You already know enough to do whatever God is calling you to do. But continue to learn and grow. Continue to dig into the scriptures. Continue to equip yourself with God's word. And you'll become more and more of a useful tool in God's hand as he spreads the faith and expands his kingdom through you. So what is the result? What is the result of evangelism? At the end of this story, we see Philip whisked away in the spirit, and we see that the Ethiopian eunuch goes away rejoicing or full of joy. This is often what happens when someone comes to know Jesus. They become full of joy. You've probably seen it on someone's face. You probably remember it in your own life. There's this joy that bubbles out of us. It's the same response that Philip had when he was in Samaria. It says that the people there were filled with joy. And so we should expect to see joy. We should expect ourselves to be joyful because we have the word of Christ in our hearts. Once the eunuch had been baptized, Philip was carried away by the Spirit, and the, the eunuch saw him no more. They never met again. And sometimes the interactions you have with someone will have a tremendous impact in their life, and you may never see them again. And this short interaction changed not only one life, but an entire culture. The Ethiopian eunuch, by tradition, is the one who first brought Christianity to Ethiopia. And he is at the very roots of Coptic Christianity in Ethiopia and Egypt. The Coptic churches still look to this man as the one who first brought faith in Jesus to their culture. What a tremendous thing! All stemming out of Philip's obedience to go to a desert place 
and do whatever the Lord called him to do when he got there. Evangelism changes things. And when you talk to someone about Jesus, you don't know whether they're going to become the next Billy Graham or the next Ethiopian eunuch or the next missionary to take Christ into a place where he's never been preached before. You just don't know. And that's the exciting thing about sharing our faith in Jesus. Not only do we get to see one life changed, but we get to see the lives changed of all the people that that person will then go and meet and share about Jesus with. When you evangelize, you never know what role that person will play in the kingdom in the future. When you evangelize, you never know what role you will play in the kingdom in the future. But let me say it one more time. When we listen to the voice of God and obey what he asks us to do, mighty things happen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the obedience of Philip and for his sensitivity to hear your voice. We thank you for the faith of that Ethiopian eunuch and his willingness to take the gospel into his culture. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be bold in proclaiming the faith, to be bold in our obedience to you, not in our own strength, but in your strength, not for our glory, but for yours. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would expand in our spheres of influence, in our families, among our neighbors, with our friends. We pray for those people in our lives right now who don't know you. Just think about those people. Lift them up. Maybe even name them. We pray, Lord, that you would work in each of their hearts by your Holy Spirit that you would till the ground, that you would make the soil fertile and ready to receive the seeds of the gospel. And we pray that you would surround that person with Christians, whether it's us or someone else, who can share your word with them and see new life happen. Lord, we are instruments in your hands. Use us as you will. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.